Well, before we dive into the word, I want us to pray together. Um, I want us to pray that God would uh, just continue to work in our hearts, but then also that he would challenge us to be able to hear and be able to walk out what we hear this morning. So will you pray with me? God, we love you. We thank you. We, we praise you for who you are, God. I thank you for you who will always be, God. I thank you for your mercy and your grace that you show us every single day. And God, thank you for the reminder uh, that you've called us to go out to others and, and to share others the good news that, that we've received. God, I, I thank you for, for Brother Steve and the group and, and, and just them reminding us of how, how you can work in each and every one of our lives. So God, this morning, I ask you that you would continue to work in our hearts. God, you know where we're at. You know what's going on in, in our hearts. And God, I ask you that you would, that you, if there's something in the way, God, that you would just uh, remove that and that you would draw us closer to you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would be with me as I teach. God, help me to be dependent on you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? All right, well, hey, this morning uh, we're going to pick up in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis. And so if you want to flip over your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, we're going to look at verses 1 through 4 this morning. And this morning I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expand on a thought that uh, I gave in our youth service this past week. So guys, if this sounds a little familiar, don't worry, it's not. It's completely different. But I'm, ex- I'm, I'm, I'm going to expand on this this morning. And this morning we pick up in a remarkably interesting time in Scripture. Uh, if you're a Bible scholar or if you just love the Word, a few few chapters ago, we see in a moment that we have never seen before. Uh, we see this moment where God is upset with man. Uh, he is so upset with man of how broken and sinful we are that he actually wishes that he never would have created us. Imagine that for a second. Imagine for a second that, that God is so upset with you that he, that he regretted the moment that he created you. Could you imagine that? I mean, I, that, that, is a, that is a heavy truth to, to come and process this morning. That, that is a heavy thing to, to understand because if, if, I, if I'm honest, that I can't think of anything more, more upsetting and more, and more damning than that. I can't think of something that, that would absolutely, that, that's just so out of my realm of thinking that God would be so upset with me that he wished he never would have created me. But that's where we're, that's where we're at this morning, is that there's this, there's this moment, there's this tension that is going on between God and man, and it is something heavy for us to understand so that we can see the scene that we're about to walk into. But because of God, because he's merciful, and because he's gracious, and because he's loving, we know the story, what does he do? He calls a man named Noah, and he calls him to build a boat. He calls him to build the ark. And Noah and his family obey, and, and because, of his, because of his obedience, uh, God preserves all of humanity, and he decides to start again. He decides to start again. Now we think, hey, life's probably good, life's probably great, and lo and behold, we all know man's got this problem. We got this issue, and just literally a, a few chapters after a whole worldwide flood, once again, man decides, hey, I got this incredible idea. I'm going to build a tower and I'm going to build a city that is going to reach heaven so that I can be like God. Now, I don't know what engineer that they talked to. I don't know what structural uh, contractor thought that he could actually build a city all the way up to heaven. I, I, don't, I don't know what they were doing in that moment or who they were hanging out with in that moment. But we all know that that can't happen. But more than likely, what, what we also know is that reveals further how deeply rooted and sinful the heart of man is. So what did God do? Because we can't be like God, because we're not like God, God then comes down to earth, the Bible says, and what does he do? He disperses them and divides their tongue and sends confusion 
so that, and disperses them all over the land, sending mass confusion, creating mold, everything for the sole purpose of not allowing us to be like him. And so, church, I mentioned that this morning because it's safe to say the story that we're about to dive into, the, the story that we're about to read is you have to understand is that we are not in a good run between God and man. We're not at a good time. There, there's, there's despair, there, there's hurt, there's pain, and, and I can only imagine that God, and I'm not, I'm not going to say this, but I don't know if God is frustrated, I don't know what's going on, but God is looking for someone, God is looking for something so that he can start again. And right here in Genesis chapter 12, we find an interesting passage of Scripture, so why don't you read with me? It says this. It says now, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Before we go any further this morning, I think it's important for us to note at first who God is talking to. Look at who God is talking to. Look at the beginning of that verse. It says, now the Lord said to Abram. Now my question to us this morning, family, is this, is who is Abram? Who who is Abram? At, at, At this point in scripture, we have no idea who Abram is, but only from what we know back in Genesis chapter 11, just a couple of verses ago. If you have your Bibles, you can look at it, but I'm just gonna quickly reference it. All we know at this point is, is that Abram, is a man from the land of Ur, a Chaldean. He's from the land of Ur. He has a wife named Sarah, a nephew named Lot, and a dad named Terah, or Terah, however we want to call him. I'm going to call him Terah today because that's probably what's going to, there we go. It's probably what's going to just keep me going. But uh, he has a dad named Terah. And I think it's important for us to understand this because one of His name is Abram, not Abraham, but also because of who his dad is. Now, uh, in in Joshua chapter 24, verse 2, there's actually, there's only a handful of times that this man named Terah is mentioned in Scripture. It's all in the Old Testament. And one of these moments is here. The other moment is, is twice in Genesis chapter 11. And then the other is in Joshua chapter 24, verse 2. And church, I want you to see how the Joshua describes this man named Terah, it says this, and Joshua said to all the people, the verse will be up on your screen, it says this, says, thus says the Lord God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah the father of Abraham and the core, and they served other gods. Did you see that? It says Terah, Terah right here is described as a man who worships other gods. Now, this is what you might be saying, well, Logan, what, what's the point? Okay, whatever. What I find interesting is, is that, that, that that term gods is the word Elohim. Now, you might be saying, now, literally, Terah is described as a man who worships Elohim. Now, you might be saying, well, Logan, isn't that a name of God? Isn't that a name of, isn't that who we worship, Elohim? And if you're asking that, then, then yes, you, you are correct. But this word Elohim in the Hebrew also translates to the worship of idols. We wor- it worship, it, and, and it, it means to worship God, but there's also a derivative of this word, which is right here, and it means to, it translates to the worship of false idols. 
So Terah is a man that worships false idols, but this word Elohim is not just specifically false idols of idols that of, of woodworking or something that we would just put away or, or a heart idol. This, this word uh, Elohim in this, in this sense actually translates and it concerns to the worship of fallen angels or demons. Think about that. It, it translates to the word and it actually brings to worship of fallen angels or better known as what we would call as demons. Now, we don't know the extent of how deep he was into this worship. We don't know all his practices and all his, all his rituals that, that he did on day in and day out. But we know that this man was involved in demon worship, which is a form of witchcraft. We know this about him. And what I find interesting and what intrigues me the most and hopefully what intrigues you this morning is, is that it is hard for me, it, it blows my mind that the first person that God shows up to after the flood, the first person that God shows up to after the Tower of Babel is the son of a demon worshiper. It blows my mind that the first person that God is going to approach and have a conversation with is, this, is a man who all he knows is witchcraft. That is, it is absurd to me. Or not absurd to me, I hate to say it, but it, it blows my mind. It's intriguing to me. Think about that for a second. Because I guarantee you, if you and I had the opportunity and had the choice to pick someone to go and lead a charge for us or to go and lead some campaign, to go and lead a people, I guarantee you that Abram would not be at the top of my list or probably yours. We would probably be looking for someone that, that knows the word, that, that knows, that's been in church, that knows how, that knows it all. But church, God does not see as you and I see. He doesn't see as you and I see. He doesn't judge on our hearts. He, does, he doesn't judge uh, on our outlook. He judges on the hearts. But more importantly, this is good news for you and me because it is a great reminder that God uses sinful and broken people for his glory. God uses sinful and broken people for his glory and for his purpose. No matter how bad, no matter how deeply rooted our sin is, no matter how deeply wounded our, our, our hearts are, God loves us, he desires us, and he chooses us every single day for those that have accepted him to be used and expand his kingdom. And that is good news for us this morning. So be reminded of that. And right here, just like God has done the work in our hearts, God is having this conversation with Abram. And not only does he use broken and sinful people, not only does he use people that are caught up completely away from him, but look at what else. But notice what God says to him in verse 1. It says this. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred, and your father's house to a land that I will show you. Now, I don't know about you, but this is insane to me. Uh, I can't, and, and, and seriously, I mean, th think about this for a second. He is, he is, God is asking this man, Abram, to leave his country, to leave his family, and asking him to leave his father's house. That would be like us hanging out on, on a Sunday afternoon watching uh, Sunday afternoon football. Hopefully we're not watching the Cowboys play because we know they're going to lose. But we're at, we're at our home watching uh, Sunday afternoon football. And next thing you know, we're on the couch eating Cheetos or whatever we're doing, eating some nachos. I don't know what we do. That's just what I do. And we're, we're hanging out. And the next thing we know is we're sitting on the couch and God shows up and says, Hey, Brother Steve, 
I want you to leave the United States. I want you to leave the United States, and not only do I want you to leave, but I don't want you to ever come back. I, I, not only do I want you to come back, but also I want you to forget your family. Leave them all behind. Forget your family, forget your favorite uncle, forget your favorite nephew, niece, cousin, whatever it might be. Forget them all. Now, you can forget, you can forget the crazy uncle. That's all right. We're good with that. But forget them all. Leave them all behind. But not only do I want you to do that, not only do I want you to leave what you're not only do I want you to leave your country, not only do I want you to leave your, your family, but I want you to leave your father's house. I want you to leave the way that you grew up. I want you to forsake all that you know. I don't know about you, but does that sound, if God showed up to you and he asked you to do that, would anybody be looking around saying, hey, that's outrageous. I mean, that is an outrageous thing for God to ask. It also makes me wonder what our response would be. It also challenges me. The first question I asked myself when I was uh, preparing for this was, if God asked me to do that, what would be my response? And if I can be honest with you, it probably wouldn't be what I would, what I would hopefully that it would be if I'm honest. But that's a big ask. He says, hey, Abram, I want you to leave all that you know. But not only do I want you to leave all that, that you know, forsake your family, forsake your country, forsake, forsake the way that you've been brought up. I want you to leave all of that, but notice what he says. He says, I want you to leave all that behind so that you can go to a land that I will show you. Did you catch that? He said, I want you to go to a land that I will show you. Not, he didn't say a land that you will receive. He didn't say go to a land that I will give you. He didn't say go to a land that you can inhabit, that you can break ground and that you can hang out. And he didn't even say go to a land that you can even lay your head and sleep. God says, hey, I want you to go to a land that can be seen. And I'm curious as to why God is being so extreme in this moment. He's being so extreme because remember, Abram is the son of Terah, the idol maker, the demon worshiper, the one who grew up. Abram is the one who has no reference of who God is, has no, has no idea who this person that he's having this conversation with other than he's having a conversation with God and he's the one that grew up in extreme wickedness. In church, this conversation that Abram is having with God isn't just a normal call. It's, just, it's not just a conversation. But this conversation that God is having with Abram is, a call, is not just a call to move away and forsake everything, but it is an invitation to a new life. It is not just a call to leave. It is an invitation to a new life. Because get this, and this is, what I find, this is what I find interesting, is that all three places listed that Abraham was to forsake, his country, uh, his land, his family, and his father's house, were all places of temptation, were all places of traps, and all places of familiarity for him to fall into sin. All three places had everything to do with, with Abram falling into sin. And because God is so merciful, because he is so gracious, and because he is so loving to Abram in his moment, God is separating Abram apart from what he, from what he knows. He's separating him apart. Not only is he separating him apart, not only is he calling him to be different in this moment, but he's also showing us that when God calls us, when God calls you and me, the only requirement that he has is total abandonment of sin. 
That is the only requirement God has for us, is to love God with all of our hearts, all of our souls, and all of our minds, to love our neighbors as ourselves. But, he, but it is evident here that it is also a requirement to abandon sin and to embrace Christ. Church family, Scripture is so clear concerning our heart posture towards God, towards pursuing God and pursuing sin. We cannot follow God wholeheartedly and love sin equally. We can't. We've tried it. This is the biggest struggle of all humanity is finding the balance, or, or we, at least we try, of loving God more than loving sin. And the Apostle Paul talks about this in the book of Colossians chapter 3. It says this, it says, if then you have been raised with Christ, it says, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. It's verse 2 says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For if you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, when Christ who is your life appears, then you shall also appear with him in glory. Look at what verse 5 says. It says this. It says, but to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Jump down with me to verse 8. It says this. It says, but... Now you must also pull them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Verse 9 says, do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and you have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. I think the apostle Paul is clear with his big idea and what he's trying to communicate is, is that if we're going to follow Jesus, if we claim that we have Christ, then we must leave sin behind and embrace Christ fully. We must leave sin behind and embrace Christ fully. We cannot follow God wholeheartedly, church family, by looking like Jesus when we are in here. We can't do this while we're in here on Sundays and on Wednesdays, but when we go out there, we smell like the world. We can't follow him wholeheartedly and smell like the world. If we're going to follow God wholeheartedly, we must commit to abandoning sin, asking in which we cannot do on our own. I'll just go ahead and give you that one right there. You, we can't do this on our own. It is a, abandoning sin requires a complete and total dependence daily on the work of Jesus, renewing, that's why he says renewing our minds. We must renew our minds. It, it is a lifestyle of fully saying, God, I can't do this on my own, but you did. You're strong enough. You defeated all this on the cross. And because you are big enough, because you are strong enough, because you are mighty enough, and I have my faith and I've put my trust in you, I can do this because my faith is in you, not in myself. That is the life that we are called to live. Com finding our faith, putting our trust, putting our whole dependence on him and not in ourselves. And Abram right here is caught in this moment. He's caught in this very situation that you and I fight today. He's caught in it. So my question for us is, well, what did he do? 
what did he do? He, 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 I mean, look, Abram's just living life, right? He's just hanging out. I don't, know, I, don't know what, I don't know what you do back in that day, but he's hanging out, living life, loving life. And then next thing you know, God shows up. He says, hey, I want you to forsake all that you've done. I want you to leave everything behind. And I want you to go to a land that I will show you. There's no security. There's no familiarity. There is nothing. It's just, hey, are you going to do this or not? And what does he do? Verse 4 says, so Abram went. It's crazy. Verse 4 says, so Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, his nephew. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. He left. Abram left. He left his country. He left his family. He left his father's house, and he followed God at the age of 75. 75, okay? Can we talk about that for a second? Like, you would think at 75, our man would just be wanting to retire. Uh, I don't know if he wanted to start like a camel farm. I don't know what you do back then that day, but you would think that that's what he would want to do. But he doesn't do that. He, he has this moment with God, and he has this, this conversation with him, and, and he obeys. He does it. And my question for us today, church, is why? Why would he do that? That makes no logical sense to any of us in this room. Why would he leave? Only to go to a land for him to see. It would be different if God said, hey, go to this land so that I can give it to you. You know what I mean? Like, okay, yeah, God, that sounds great. Hey, go, go to this place. Leave this all by me because I got great plans for you. Okay, yeah, that's awesome. I'll do that. No, he says, hey, go to a land for you to see. And my question is why? Why would he do that? Well, I believe the answer is in verses 2 and 3. It says this. It says, if you do this, he goes, Abram, he goes, and I will make you a great nation. He goes, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Verse 3 says, I will bless those who bless you, and, in, in, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And you and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Church, this, this is good for us. Stay with me here. This is so good for us because, you see, God took everything that Abram knew, his home, his security, his, the wealth and the money that, that he had. I mean, he was 75 years old. Obviously, he had, he had had some type of trade, some type of job. He had had some type of wealth already. Assuming he told him he, 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 had, a, he had some security. He had comfort. He had his people. He had his group. He was comfortable. He had his identity. When, when, what I find interesting is, is that when God says, hey, I want you to, to forsake your father's house, it's not just abandoning how you grew up, but it's literally forsaking the name that your father gave you. He lost his identity. It was his identity. Everything was stripped. Everything, uh, everything was stripped for the sole purpose that God would be, the, that Abram would be the man that God called him to be. You see, it, I don't, and I, it, I don't want you to miss this because this, this is, there's an amazing work that's going on here is, is God stripped him of everything that he knew, everything that he was, everything that he had worked for, for the sole purpose that Abram would be who God called him to be rather than who Abram called him to be. And what I find so interesting and what challenges me so much in, in this passage is this, is that you know, we get so caught up in the fruit of this moment. 
We get so caught up in, in the fruit of the work from what this conversation brings that we forget the work itself. We know what happens here is that God calls, he calls Abram. We know later in the story that God changes his name to Abraham. And out of this one moment, this, the birth of the nation of Israel happens. And, and, and we all know the story of the nation of Israel, how they constantly have the circle that Pastor Fiaz has talked about of loving God and loving themselves and getting themselves into trouble. And time and time again, we, we identify with the fruit of this moment. But I think, we forget the, I think we forget the magnitude of this moment, which is that God is inviting man into relationship with him. God is inviting man into relationship with him. And Brother Steve, Brother Ron, I'm going to ask you guys to come on back and play behind just for a few moments as we kind of close this morning. God invited him into relationship with him. It was never about the blessing, and I want you to hear that. It was never about the blessing. The blessing was a promise to God, to Abram's obedience. That was going to happen. It, it, that wasn't God's hook for Abram to, for Abram to go and, and to do this. And I don't, want you to, I don't want you to be sitting here this morning saying, okay, well, he did this, Logan's saying, because he did this so he could be blessed. No, that's not what I'm saying. It was not about the blessing. It wasn't about the promise. That's just God's faithfulness. That's just him being a good dad. It wasn't about the blessing. And it wasn't about God calling him out. What this whole story, what this whole passage is about this morning is, is it is all about Abram, the son of an idol maker, encountering the one and true Elohim. It is all about Abram, a man who grew up in wickedness, a man who didn't know God, a man who probably had this weird uh, this weird, just perverted view of who God was and who he is and grew up in some weird, nasty and just weird, just junk. Encountering the one and true living God. That is the point of this, of this message. And not only him encountering him, not only him having a conversation with him, but something happening in his heart that something that can't necessarily be explained but finding the love of Jesus and actually having the courage actually having the and making the decision to leave his old life behind and embrace the new one set before him no matter the cost no matter if it made sense or not no matter if if he had a place to sleep no matter if he had anything that he was going to gain, no matter if there was anything for him in return, the point was is that Abram encountered the one and true living God. And God did something in his heart, and he obeyed. In church, this moment, what happens in the life of Abram is, is that Abram went from living in wickedness and walking in wickedness daily to being, to, he went from walking in wickedness to walking in holiness in the matter of one conversation. Wicked, complete and utter wickedness to being holy and right in God's eyes in a matter of a second, in one conversation. And you might be asking, well, Logan, why, why are we talking about this this morning? Why, what, what's the point of this? Well, church family, I, there's a couple of reasons. And the first is, is that I believe that there are some of us here today that we just need to be reminded of how good God is. We just need to be reminded of how merciful and how gracious and how loving he is for, for us. Just like Abram, 
We lived in wickedness. Our hearts are nasty, our hearts are broken, our hearts are are wounded, and we're guilty according to God's eyes. But because he loves us, because he values us, he sent his son Jesus to die for us on a cross, the most inhumane way possible, so that you and I could be invited in relationship with him. Let us be reminded how gracious and how loving and how good our God is. He is good and he is worthy to be praised. And he is deserving of everything that we have because he gave us everything. So the first reason is to be reminded of him, to be reminded of his goodness. The second reason is, is maybe there's some of us in this morning that, like Abraham, you're, you're, in, that, you're in that position. You're walking in that, in that, in that stuff. Maybe, you, maybe God has revealed that you're wicked. I, I don't know. But you know that there's something keeping you from him. You know that there's something that's not right. In this moment, I want to encourage you that there's mercy and there's grace for you. God's not mad at you. He's not upset with you. He doesn't think that you're this awful person. He doesn't think that you're someone that, doesn't, that isn't worthy to be loved or isn't someone that's worthy to be valued. He values you. And he desires to be in relationship with you. The third reason that I felt like God wanted us to, to hear this, this, this passage this morning is, is maybe there's some of us where we've decided to follow Jesus. We've asked him into our hearts. We've asked him to, to be our Lord. We've asked him to be our Savior. We, we've committed our lives to him. But there's that struggle. There's that tension that goes in our heart that we fight every day is of loving Jesus more than loving sin. And family, if that's us today, I wanna to invite you to have a moment to, to repent, to have a moment to, to confess that to him because he will forgive you. He'll forgive us. He'll, he'll, not only will he forgive us, but then he'll, ask, he'll also, the Bible says, because of the promise that we receive through the Holy Spirit, that he will help us walk this thing out in moments of temptation, in moments of sin, in moments of hardship. His spirit will remind us that we can overcome it because he did. He did. So maybe that's where we're at today. I don't know where we're all at, but for a moment, I'm gonna call all of us to just respond and we can respond right there at our seat. So if you will, will you just, everyone just bow your head, just close your eyes and look, I know we got life going around, there's distractions, there's, there's things that are going on, life is going on, but I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what's going on in your heart. But I believe and I know that the Holy Spirit is here. He's here. And God desires to touch your heart today. So whether you need to make a decision to follow Jesus, if that's you this morning, right there in your seat, all you have to say is, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm a sinner. And God, I need you. I ask you to be the Lord. I ask you to be the Savior of my life. Show me what it's like to, to, to follow you. Maybe for some of us, we, we're struggling. I mean, we, we, are, we are in it. We are struggling with sin. Maybe for some of us, we even feel like sin owns us. 
right there, will you just confess that thing, whatever it is? Will you ask God to forgive you? But I want to challenge you to do one more thing in that. Will you ask him to show you how to depend on him when this sin comes up, when that issue might come up? And finally, maybe there's some of us this morning, maybe you're just walking through a tough time. Maybe, I don't, I don't know if there's a situation, I don't know if work's going bad, I don't, I, don't know what, I don't know what this is, and I don't know who this is for. But if you're walking through something this morning, will you give that something to Jesus? Will you ask him for his help? It's so easy to to try and think that we can do things on our own. It's so easy to think that we can try to overcome and that we can actually make things better in our own strength and our own effort. And church family, we can't. But he can. So will you give that to him this morning? I'll give you few minutes to pray and a few minutes to respond and then I'll wrap up in, in prayer. Father, this morning we just pause and we just say thank you. God, this morning we're reminded of, of how good you are. God, we're reminded this morning of how great you are, how awesome you are. For, for taking people like us that are sinful, that are broken, and that are hurting, that are caught up in things that are completely away of you. But because you love us, because you value us, because you, you want to be in relationship with us, you sent Jesus to die for us so that we could be in relationship with you. And God, we thank you for that this morning and we praise you for that. And we, we glorify you for that this morning. We give you all the honor and all the praise for that. God, thank you for being gracious to us when we don't deserve it. And God, I, I just ask you as, as, we, as we wrap up this morning, God, that you would help us to live a life committed to abandoning sin and embracing you. God, I ask you that in moments where, we, where this tension rises up of, of, of fighting and navigating sin, God, that we would run to you instead of running to ourselves. Protect us of that. God, I ask you that we would be a people that wouldn't be, that wouldn't be known, that love you on Sunday and Wednesday, but God, that we would be a people that are known, that, that love you every single day, every single hour and every single minute, every single second. So God, we love you this morning. God, we thank you for calling us from wickedness to holiness and making us right in your eyes. So Jesus, as we go out of here this morning, I lift up every family to you. God, I ask that you would protect them. God, I ask that you would keep them safe. God, I ask that you would continue to work and that you would continue to move in each and every one of their hearts and in their extended families. So God, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you for this time. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. And everyone said, amen.